Thanks for joining us for this message from Awakened Church. We believe in the power of God's Word, and we pray that you are encouraged by this message. Now lean in as we hear from Pastor Kevin Miller. So Acts 13 is where we are, and we've been in this series of messages that we're calling Scattered. We're talking about how even while we're spread out, God is still building us. And I'm really thankful for that because it's a good reminder that it doesn't require us being in a building for God to be at work in our lives. Wherever we go, we've got the Holy Spirit. Um, Jesus is with us. And so, of course, then a lot of the reason for us being spread out right now is, is safety. Um, all, all of this happened starting back in March. We all had to spread out. And, you know, safety, I was thinking a lot about safety this last week. I had to replace the deadbolt on my front door this week, which, according to YouTube, should take three and a half minutes. It took me slightly longer than that, <laughs> times 25 or something. And, but I did it, and you can't get in my door. So... Um, but I was thinking about like as I, as I was trying to figure out the locks and the deadbolt and the latches and I was thinking about all of the stuff that we do to keep ourselves safe, you know, like so we've, we've got that whole system and then we've got our security system. Maybe some of you guys for your house, you have a security system. I could pull out my, my, my iPhone and watch what's happening in my living room from my phone. You know, everywhere we go, there's safety measures. We've got our seatbelts. If you're on a bike, you've hopefully got a helmet. Um, we've got all of these different things that we do to keep ourselves safe. And then, of course, the 2020 thing is the face mask, right? So we've got, no, not like that. Didn't go over your eyes. I had to wear this the other day when I, um, what's well, twisted? There we go. Um, I had to wear this the other day when I went to get a haircut, Abby. <laughs> Which is a new way to get, get a haircut, right? So... Uh, I was also thinking, too, we had this, uh, this prayer and popsicles event at, at church last week. And it was funny because I think a lot of people, the 2020 tan line is going to set in, you know. So like, like, like uh, sun-tanned foreheads, you know. So we, we have these masks that we wear. And the, the point is to, like, keep us safe and, and protect us and keep us healthy. And that's, you know, that's the, that's the whole point. Like, everywhere you look, there's something that we do, a precautionary measure that we've put into place. And Acts 13 is really kind of what we're going to see today, really kind of void of a lot of those precautionary measures. In fact, a lot of times, even if you go into businesses right now, they're going to tell you all of the different things that they're doing to keep you safe. If you're one of the people joining us in person next Sunday, we're going to tell you all of the different things that we're doing to keep you safe and healthy. It's going to look and feel a lot different around this place because we want to be safe and healthy. In fact, businesses will say that safety is our number one priority. That's what you'll hear at a lot of different businesses. So what's interesting about that is that in the next two weeks, uh, today and next week, I want to talk to you actually about purposely not staying safe. And here's what I mean by that. I'm not talking about physical safety. We'll wear masks if we need to wear masks. We'll wash our hands and socially distance and we'll do what we need to do. But I'm talking spiritually. What I'm talking about today is embracing the spiritual risk that comes with following Jesus. I think so often we miss out on what God wants to do in and through our lives because we play it safe. 
We're so concerned with our own spiritual safety and our own comfort that we tend to miss out on what God wants to do in and through our lives. And so I want to share a two-part message, part one today, part two next week, that I'm, ta- that I'm entitling this. If you're taking notes, jot this down, a little play on words. Stop praying it safe. I think so often we miss God's move in our lives because we pray too safe. We're too scared to pray big. We're too scared to, to, to pray with faith because we're not exactly sure what God's going to do or say or where that might lead us. And we, we, we feel unsafe or we feel uncomfortable about it. And, you know, we pray for our food and we pray for our family. But where's the prayer of faith? Where, where's the prayers of believing that God's going to do something big in our lives? I, I got to tell you that the message that God's given me for these next two weeks, I believe if we will allow it to soak into our lives and transform the way we live as we follow Jesus, I believe that there will be things that come from these messages that years down the road, we will be able to look back on and say, God started something in my heart from that one weekend. That's, that's how powerful I believe Acts chapter 13 is and the lessons that we're going to learn. Because here's why. Acts 13 is a pivotal point in the early church. I'll, I'll tell you all about it. But it's the first time where the early church really begins to launch out on their mission to spread the gospel. And I'm praying that God uses this text in a similar way in our lives. That he provokes us to... to to step out and to launch out and not be so worried about our own safety, but instead to follow by faith and obedience into whatever God has for us. So Acts chapter 13, of course, I'm also excited because we're going to take communion at the end of the message today. So if you didn't know that yet um, and you didn't get communion supplies uh, this last week from church, then um, run to your fridge right now while I read Acts 13 to you. And you can grab some juice or some crackers and you can join us in at the very end. Acts 13, um, we're going to, for today and next Sunday, focus in on two verses, I'm sorry, five verses in the beginning of Acts 13. Acts 13, verse 1. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers. Barnabas, so it's going to list five of these prophets and teachers. Now watch this. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Verse 2, while they were worshiping and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Obviously, this happened pre-pandemic because they laid their hands on them, right? Um, otherwise they would have had to pray from a social distance standpoint, six feet away. But it it is very interesting that verse two begins with worshiping and fasting. Verse three begins with worshiping and fasting. I'll talk more about this in a moment. Maybe I'm getting ahead of myself, but sandwiched in between was the call of God on their lives. Verse four. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, And from there, they sailed to Cyprus. And we're going to go over the the cities and the ports a little bit more next week, as riveting as that sounds. I promise it's amazing. And when they arrived at Salamis, 
They proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. So today, I just want to share real, two real simple truths to you from, from Acts 13, and I'm going to give you a few more next Sunday. But I want to start with these first two, and, and um, we're going to start here with number one. If you would jot this down, I, I hope this will give you a good description of how Jesus built the church. Number one, write this down. The church is designed for unity amidst diversity. I'll I'll say it again. If you're watching, it's up on your screen. The church is designed for unity amidst diversity. I'm going to talk about the unity here in just a moment. But allow me, if I could, to speak to the racial diversity in the early church. Now, I want to state that I've been planning on Acts 13 for quite a while now. And I didn't plan this message around what's happening in the headlines of our, of our news or our culture today. So I find it really amazing because I don't know if it's ever crossed your mind about the nationalities of the people in the New Testament or in the Bible in general, or maybe I don't know if it's ever even crossed your mind, are there black people in the Bible? But actually, we meet a couple right here that you may not have even picked up on. I want to just walk you through a little bit about what's happening in the leadership of the first century church. Watch this. Acts 13 verse 1 gives us five important leaders in the church. Let's walk through and find out a little bit about him. It starts with Barnabas. We know about Barnabas that he was Jewish and he was born on the island of Cyprus. We'll talk about that more a little bit next week. So just keep in mind, he had a religious upbringing. He was born on this island. Secondly, there's a guy that, we're, that we meet called Simeon, also called Niger. Now, that's interesting. My Bible, if your Bible is like mine, there's a footnote. And it says that Niger is a Latin word that means dark or black. So we've got Barnabas, we've got Simeon, who looked a lot different than Barnabas. His skin color was a lot darker. We've got Lucius of Cyrene, which is also interesting because Cyrene was on the northern tip of Africa, telling us this guy was probably also a black guy in the church. So we've got Barnabas, Jewish. We've got Simeon. We've got Lucius. Then we've got Menaean. He's an interesting guy. It says that he's a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, who was, uh, if you know the name Herod from the Bible, you might remember that Herod beheaded John the Baptist. This is the same Herod, beheaded John the Baptist and presided over the trials of Jesus before he was crucified. So obviously, although Menaean and Herod grew up together, in fact, some say that the actual, a better translation would be that they were stepbrothers. Um, They grew up together. They were very close, lifelong friends. They parted ways at some point and lived very different lives. One following Jesus, one not following Jesus. But it's interesting to note that Menaean grew up most likely with the privilege and the wealth of Herod. Okay, so we've got those four guys. And then we have Saul, who we know is Jewish, born a Roman citizen, had a very strict religious upbringing. So I just want to, I, I just, I think it's important that we see a picture of the diversity, even racially, in the beginning of the church. I, th- I think this is a beautiful picture of the diversity of the church, because right here, we are introduced to five of the original leaders of the first century church, and we've got three Middle Eastern guys and two black guys leading the church. I love this. 
I love this because I just see God's design of diversity, even all the way back to the first century church. So important for us to talk about at any point, but especially now. In fact, maybe it's a good time to mention that the, the Americanized version of Jesus in pictures that you see, the pale, white, blue-eyed Jesus that looks like he just recently got done at the salon and got his hair curled, that's not an accurate picture of what Jesus would have looked like. It looked very differently. Jesus did not look like your white American hipster today, okay? He, doesn't, he, he didn't look like a lot of us. He, he was from the Middle East. He was from Bethlehem in the area of, of Israel. And so Jesus was not white. And much of the church leadership in the first century was not white. And Jesus designed the church. He built the church to, to function in a, in, a, in a setting of great diversity and yet with a lot of unity. So we're very different, and yet God brings us all together. Now here's the challenge with that. Jesus built the church with diversity, but I'm afraid that the American church has strayed from that. Martin Luther King Jr. said, quote, he said, it's appalling that the most segregated hour of American Christianity is 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. And I, I, I hate it, even to this day, when I hear pastors call their church a white church or a black church. And, and, and here's why. The reality is, if you looked at a lot of our churches, it, that might be accurate to say that's a white church, that's a black church. But I, I, I hate calling it by a skin color because that was never the design for Jesus's church. He always wanted us to be racially diverse. And the moment you slap a label on it, a white church, a black church, a Latino church, what you do is you predefine who can go there. And so I, I just want to state that my intention in leading Awakened Church is to build a little taste of heaven on earth. And I, I won't always get it right. And there's a lot of people that look like me here at Awaken, but I want to state from the start that just like the early church was very diverse, we want to fight. I believe that the church is, is put on, on, the, on planet earth for such a time as this to lead the charge in unity amidst our diversity, right? right? We need that so much today. So I think this, this is important. And again, I didn't build this sermon around what's happening in headlines. Just turns out that the text that God led me to for this week happened right around the time that all of these headlines and protests are happening all around, all around the world, all around the nation. So it's important to, to, to see this, racial diversity. But I think it's also important to see that the church was diverse not only in race, but also in spiritual gifts. So let me show you a couple examples here. Um, it says in verse 1, it introduced us to prophets and teachers. And then in verse 2, it says that Barnabas and Paul were sent out on a missionary journey. And then in verse 5, it says that John went with them to assist them. So think about that. Right there, we have at least five different spiritual gifts. Teaching, prophecy, evangelism, helps, and administration. All of these are different 
spiritual gifts that these men who had the Spirit of God in them were equipped with to function in a unique way in ministry. So here's why this is so important. Because what I love about diversity is that, interestingly, follow me on this train of logic. Diversity actually is not, the way I look at it, it's actually not something that divides us. It's something that actually highlights our need for unity, right? right? Diversity highlights our need for unity. Here's why. Because since I have gifts, and, and Tony, you have gifts, and Mom, you have gifts, and Kelly, you have gifts, and we all have different gifts, here's what's beneficial to this. Because we're all gifted differently, it highlights our need to come together, right? Because if I had all the gifts, you don't, I, I don't need you. If you had all the gifts, you don't need me. You know what's really interesting? Maybe this is a rabbit trail. Follow me anyway. <laughs> the gift of healing. I always find this really interesting. Think about it. Have you ever met the, a person? I've never met a person with the gift of healing who can pray for themselves to be healed. You know what's interesting? It, I, I've always, the way I've always seen it done is we bring someone to someone else with the gift of healing. It's not that that person is something magical. It's that God uses us when we come together and, and he unites us in the midst of our diversity. So, so right here, we've got people teaching and prophesying and we've got helps and administration and we've got the gift of evangelism and all of this stuff that's happening right here in the church. Paul and Barnabas and John all went on a mission trip. They were the only ones that the Holy Spirit called to lead. They're not elite They weren't called because they were better than everybody else. They were just called because they were uniquely equipped to go out and do the specific thing God had called them to do. There was work to do out there, and there was work to do back here. And so God sent a team to both places. So it's important to to just understand this. If we all had the same gifts, if we all had the gifts, then we wouldn't need to come together. But we, we complete each other, and we would be incomplete without each other. I mean, just count through the New Testament how many times we're commanded to do things for one another, with one another. There are so many things about our calling that we could not possibly live out if it weren't for other people. One another. Everyone needs another throughout the New Testament. So I think it's also important to note that unity does not mean uniformity. Okay, what I mean by that is Being united does not mean bringing all the people that look and talk and do things like me together. Unity does not mean uniformity. It doesn't mean we look the same. It doesn't mean we function the same. In fact, it often means that we do things very different and yet we're united through the diversity. So remember the title of the message, Stop Praying It Safe, right? So come on, on this topic, let's stop praying it safe. What I mean by that is, could we as a church commit to praying for the boldness and the perseverance that, it, that is required for us to come together with people who look different and talk different and do things different and other churches that function differently and other, other ministries that reach people in different methods and in different ways than we do. But can we just pray for the boldness and the strength to have the conversations and to love people and to just understand that God's going to use a whole bunch of different people to reach a whole bunch of different people. Amen. 
And they're often not going to look like you and I. And that's a good thing. This is a way that, that Jesus built the original church. I just see so much diversity, and we're only five verses into Acts 13. This is just the very beginning. Okay. Now, second thought I want to share with you today, and I'll, I'll share some more next week, again, more on this topic. The second thought. So if the first was about uh, that, that the, the church was designed for unity, here's the second thing. Let's talk a little bit about prayer Number two, write this down. A move of God, I'll repeat it for those of you taking notes. A move of God is surrounded by and saturated in prayer. I'll say it again. A move of God is surrounded by and saturated in prayer. Acts 13 is, uh, is, is pivotal for the church. It's a pivotal point, actually, in early church history for a lot of different reasons. Um, But the main one is that this is, from all that we can tell, the first organized launch of a missionary journey that the church ever set out on. This is the first one. In fact, every other time that we read up until Acts 13, every other time from Acts 1 through Acts 12 that we read about somebody sharing the gospel, it's kind of somewhat accidental that they ended up there. We've been talking about that throughout the Scattered series, that it was persecution that scattered the church, right? The church has left the building. The salt is out of the salt shaker, right? It's, it's the, the people were spreading, but they weren't signing up for mission trips and saying, I'm going to go to that island and share the gospel like is now happening for the first time in Acts 13. So this is a very, very pivotal moment. All of the, the, the stuff before, God was using it, but they weren't trying to necessarily go out and share the gospel. They took the gospel with them. They shared it with them when they went. But this is the first time that they actually heard from, the, heard from God, organized a team, and set out with the intent to evangelize people who didn't yet know Jesus. That's a big, big deal, especially if missions is on your heart. Acts 13 should be in, in your mind. I mean, this is, this is a, a really pivotal point. So, but I, I've got to draw your attention to this. Notice what they were doing when the Holy Spirit called them out on this mission trip. Verse 2, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting. It came during prayer and fasting. The calling came as they prayed. There, you see, I... I God moves when, when, when we move. When we begin to lean into the power of prayer, the power of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives, it kind of reminds me of James chapter 4 where it says, draw near to God and what? He will draw near to us. So that's a promise in the New Testament. Draw near to God. He'll draw near to you. And we're seeing that right here. As they're worshiping and they're praying and they're fasting, the Holy Spirit Speaks. Now we'll talk a little bit more about that uh, next week, what, what, it, what it looks like to hear the voice of the Lord and, and how that plays out. But let's just focus in on the prayer and fasting for a moment because I think if we are not careful, it can be, it can be so easy in our culture of chaos and busyness to get so addicted to going at such a high rate that we rob ourselves of hearing from the voice of God. 
We don't, we don't carve out extra time. We get to God when we have some extra time, which, by the way, is never unless the governor says, stay in your house. And then we're like, I guess I'll just do a puzzle for the rest of the month, you know. Um, I think we get so easily distracted by the chaos and the busyness of life that we miss out often on hearing the voice of God. Paul and Barnabas, this early church, these leaders here, they heard from God because they set aside time to intentionally seek God. And it was when they were worshiping and fasting that God spoke. And so I I think this is such an important precedent for us to understand here. Because there's a lot of, let's be honest, there's a lot of things in our lives that we need to pray a lot more about. Come on. Anybody else? I think if we're all honest, everybody watching, everybody here with me, we would say we could probably make a list of a lot more things that we should pray about. If you need some help, I made a list. Where is it? Here we go. If you need some help, what do I, what do I pray about? I'll just give you, how about start by praying for your pastor, all right? Could, I'll take that. Um, how about miracles that are impossible? Are you praying? Listen, are you praying? We're talking about don't stop praying it safe. Are you praying for anything right now that if God doesn't do it, it can't happen? Are you praying for something miraculous to take place in your life? That's a great place to start. Um, how, how about kids? Pray for your parents. How about parents? Pray for your kids. Pray about the small decisions in your life. Pray about the big decisions in your life. Pray about the people who hurt you. And ask God to give you a heart of reconciliation and forgiveness toward them. Pray for the salvation of your family members and friends. Pray about sin that you need to confess and tell God what what you've done and, and put that in the past. Pray about your finances. Pray about your marriage. Pray about your relationships. Pray about your friends. Pray about the future of our church. Pray for revival. Come Holy Spirit. Pour yourself out in our day. Pray for our local and our national leaders. Pray for racism and your part in it. And how, where do I start? And what are the conversations I need to have? Do I need to keep going? Like there's, there's an endless list of things that we can be praying for, right? And so I just wonder what it would look like if as, as a church, as families, as individuals, we intentionally made time to just carve out and do what the early church did and just worship and fast and pray. I'm calling our church to prayer and fasting this week. I'll tell you details at the end, but I just, I believe that God wants to do something in us and through us and speak to us and lead us and launch us out if we would just carve out some time and listen. Talk to him about it. This is what the early church did and it changed the course of of human history. It really did. Um, Now, I don't know for sure what they were praying about, but I have a guess, an educated guess. I'm guessing that since they went out on a mission, missionary journey, I imagine that evangelism was the topic of their prayers. And, and here's why. Here's why I think that. They had already covered Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. If you've been going with us so far throughout this scattered series. You know, the gospel has gone out to many of those areas already. And now they're wondering, okay, Acts 1.8, Jesus said, also take, to, take the gospel to the end of the earth. So I wonder if now they're kind of praying that. And, and here's why I wonder that. Because if God used them to be a part of the answer to their prayer, I think there's a pretty good chance that this was actually what they were praying. And here's why. Because you know what I've found, and I can just speak personally on this, 
oftentimes when it's something on burdened on my heart to pray, it's often in my future to help. When God places a burden on your heart to begin praying for something, I believe there's often a reason for that because he wants to not just burden your heart for it, but he may actually use you to get your hands dirty and help fix the problem, right? So come on, church, let's not be the church that just just prays, God, please send the missionaries around the world. Let's be the Isaiahs that go, here am I, Lord, I mean, send me. I, I don't know what I could do, but I'll, I'll help. God, I'm just going to at least start by praying about it. I wonder if Paul and Barnabas and these early church leaders just got together and they're on their knees. I'm just imagining they're fasting and they're worshiping. And they just say, God, help, you, you've helped us get the gospel to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. But we're trying to be obedient to Jesus and we've got to get the gospel to the end of the earth. Where do we start? And at some point in some way, the Holy Spirit said, how about you start with you guys? You're the missionaries. You guys go out. And so he sent them out. So uh, along that line, just when it comes to a calling, all Christians have a general calling. Okay, let's, let's be clear with this. There's, there's a lot of things about all of our lives as we are following Jesus that are the same calling. Love God. Love people. Be generous. Use your gifts. Right? There's, there's a lot of things that go for all Christians. But then there are also specific things that you are called to that I'm not called to, that I'm called to that you're not called to. I can speak for myself. I can speak that God called us to Clarksville to plant Awakened Church. That's not everybody. But God's also going to call you in, in, a, in a duty station where you go, in your workspace, in your, in your school. He's going to call you to do different things that I may never have a chance to do. So there are specific, unique things that God has called you to do. Now, I I don't know your specifics. And I can't speak exactly about where God is going to lead you particularly. But I can say this. Just like Paul and Barnabas, God wants you and I set apart for something unique. Do you see what the Holy Spirit said? Verse 2, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul to the work for the work to which I have called them. Set apart. This is so important. Because we need to understand this. Being set apart for something requires separating ourselves from some things. In fact, maybe we should ask ourselves that question. What do I need to separate myself from so that I could be set apart for what God wants to use me for? There's a lot of things for the rest of our lives that we will need to say no to so that we can say yes to following Jesus. You know what's interesting? It goes without saying that, of course, we need to say no to sin and temptation. But there's also a lot of good things that we'll need to say no to so we don't miss out on the best things, right? There's some really good things that you can do with your life that are actually safe, keep you out of harm's way, and actually don't help you fulfill the calling that God wants to take you down. But if we're not willing to separate ourselves from some of those, we'll never be set set apart for the great things that God has for us. And so um, my my, my request, my prayer, stop praying it safe. 
Stop praying it safe. Stop. I, I, think, I just think so many Christians, we, we pray so consistently for our meals. And we don't pray enough for the mission that God's called us to here on earth. Like, let's not get to heaven. Come on, Christians. Let's not get to heaven and stand in front of Jesus and say, God, I faithfully blessed the meal with my family every day. Oh, but the mission and the whole purpose that you called me on the earth? I mean, sometimes we talked about that. What's more important? Forget the sandwich prayer for a little while if you need to. and Pray for the mission of why God has placed you here on the planet, right? Let's stop praying it's safe. I, I just, I, I, I'm praying for us. God, please help us not to allow comfort to hijack our calling. That we would, we would not adapt to this mentality that I just got to stay safe and comfortable. That's not Christianity. That's not the, the life of faith and risk that God has called us to. Maybe, maybe you're wondering, like, why the push for that? Why pray big? Why risk? Why stop praying safe, sterile prayers? And I would answer that question because Jesus, right? Because Jesus is worth all the risk and the, and the pain. Think about this for a moment. Imagine if Jesus would have adopted that mentality that safety was his number one priority. Imagine where our souls would be if Jesus put his own personal safety as his highest priority. Where where would we be? He risked it all for the health of our souls. He put it all out there. Jesus, I, I was thinking about Jesus being mocked on the cross. They said, this guy said he's the son of God and he can't even save himself. Let me set the record straight. It's not that Jesus couldn't save himself. It's that he wouldn't save himself. He chose not to. Because safety was not Jesus' number one priority. Our own salvation was Jesus' number one priority. Meaning, he didn't want the cross, but he'd take the cross if it meant getting us. Right? So for everybody watching, everybody listening to this message, I want you to hear Romans 5.8 says that God demonstrated his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He gave everything up. He spent himself. He shed his own blood so that he could get us. His personal safety got pushed to the side so that our spiritual safety could be secured. That's the message of the cross. That's the beauty of the gospel. And so I'm just thinking if we take our cues from Jesus, then that means safety takes a back seat to faith and obedience. I'm wondering if God's going to call you like an Acts 13 moment to take this launch of faith at some point and go, man, I don't know exactly what the future holds, but I know God's called us to something. Come on, we're going to pray and fast over this. And as the Lord leads, we're going to, we're going to take this leap. We're going to do this thing. God's going to call us into something. And we'll be able to look back and say, man, what a wild ride it was. But he was so worth the risk. The reward of following Jesus is, is so worth it. I, I guess the question for all of us is, 
Are you willing to give your life for the one who gave his life for you? He thought you were worth it. Are we going to live a life that says he's worth it? So I want to pray for us here in a moment. and We're going to celebrate communion here in just a minute. Uh, if you haven't gotten your communion stuff and you're watching, yeah, you still got a moment. You can do that. But don't leave just yet because I want to I I pray right now. And I want to, especially for those who don't know Jesus, I want to invite you into this. God wants to invite you in to the calling that he has on your life. And it's so much more than just like be a good person and do some good things. It's live a life that matters. It's you've got a purpose and a mission on this planet. And today we just, I I just hope today is like a a stake in the ground. We're going to stop praying these safe, sterile prayers that get us nowhere. We're going to believe that God with his Holy Spirit living inside of us wants to use us to change the world. And so we're going to pray some big prayers. And so I want want to pray for those of us who are followers of Jesus, but but maybe even more importantly, I want to invite those who are not yet following Jesus into a life of purpose and meaning. So if you would, wherever you're you're joining me, would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me right now? And I, I just want to pray for us. Jesus, we come together scattered and yet together in, in unity and spirit. In living rooms, in barracks, in gyms, in cars, wherever this is being watched or listened to. You're with us. We're scattered, but you're still building. And so, Lord, I pray first for those who know you. God, those of us who are followers of Jesus, would you help us to live like it? I want Paul and Barnabas' faith that goes, God, what do you want to do through us? How do we get the gospel to more people? If you need me to go, I'll go. God, I'm I'm lifting my hand today. I'm saying, God, whatever you want to do through me, in me, take me there. Lead the way. I'm yours. God, I also want to pray for everybody who does not yet know you, those who are watching or listening right now. That when they die, they don't know where they're going. Many of them are holding on to some hope that maybe they've been good enough to go to heaven. And God, would you remind them today it's not about what they've done, it's about Jesus, what you did. And so right here in this moment, I pray that they would surrender their lives to you. God, would you humble their hearts? Would you pull them out of their sin? Would you help them to know that they've not failed too badly? They've not run too far. They've not done too much. But Jesus, your arms are open, not only because of your love, but because of the cross. You demonstrated your love toward us while we were still sinners. And so Jesus, right now, everybody who's listening to this message that doesn't know you, I pray you would bring surrender and salvation to their hearts. If that's you, if you need to surrender your life to Jesus today, can I just lead you in a prayer? Real simple. Say this with me. Say, Jesus, today I surrender my life to you. I'm turning from my sin and I'm turning to follow Jesus. I'm all yours. Thank you for dying in my place. Thank you that my safety was your priority. You saved me on the cross. And I surrender to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Can we just celebrate with anybody who made that decision today?
Listen, if you made that decision today, we want, we want to know, first of all, whatever platform you're joining on right now, would you let us know right now in the comments? Um, tell us your name. We'd love to know how to pray for you. You can also text the word AWAKEN to the number on your screen. Um, we'd love to just know your name and send you some resources and tell somebody around you too. If you're not alone in whatever room you're watching right now, just go tell somebody, Jesus changed my life today. We want to know, we want to, we want to journey with you. Thanks for joining us for this message from Awaken Church. We'd love to hear how this message or the ministry of Awaken has impacted your life. Let us know at awaken.church forward slash my story.